Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Investigative Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Roland Jones. Today's episode is all about AIDS statistics. AIDS, HIV, is the, the sexually transmitted disease. Also, people get it through blood transfusions that, for those that don't know, it used to be kind of everywhere in the 90s, like in, in the media, that it was just constantly talked about. It's a new disease that everybody had to watch out for. You heard about it in school dozens of times. There are all these you know, benefit concerts and albums and things like that to raise money and raise awareness for the disease. And it, it, you just you couldn't hear enough of it. It was just like like the, the South Park song about, you know, everybody has AIDS. It just that <laughs> that seemed like it really was what was happening back then. You know, it was ba- that song is based on the musical Rent, which is about I think there's a character that has AIDS. There's a lot of that, like TV shows would have a character that, that contracts AIDS. But you don't hear about it as, so much anymore. And uh, my sort of understanding of that up to a point was that, oh, it's, you know, they've, they've developed these drugs that, uh, that have made, been able to avoid, you know, people from dying from the disease and that made life manageable and that just, you just don't hear about it anymore. It's not, it's out there, but it's still a risk, but it's not as big of a concern. But that changed for myself about, I think it was, what was that, six years ago? I, I worked on a story. It was about this pharmaceutical comp- company, this, this male pharmaceutical company. They, they sold drugs through the mail in California. That was funding this ballot initiative. It, a lot of what they do is provide AIDS medications. And they, there's a lot of money involved in it. And sort of just diving into the money related to that, I wound up looking up how much California spends on AIDS drugs, AIDS medications in the state. And it, it was it was eye-opening. It's, it's pretty baffling. I think it's like, so it's the, the one is, it's called Truvada. That's the main one. It's, it's called a, it's a PrEP drug. It's like a preventative drug that, you know, sort of help you prevent getting the HIV virus. And that, that it's like on the order of like over $90 million that Medi-Cal spends on it. That's the California Medicaid program. Such a baffling amount of money. I think we've talked about like California's financial issues um, multiple times on this, like how much gets spent on taxes and uh, electricity and all these other things. But yeah, Medicaid, uh, Medicare is another one where just they're throwing a lot of money out the window there. I mean, it is a super expensive drug. So, you know, like one pill is, I don't I, f- I forgot how much, but it's a lot. It's one of the most expensive per pill drugs out there, up there with like cancer medications and things like that. But you would think that, you know, the most, the, the, the drug that's being spent the most by a state is one that's going to be the most common, like diabetes medications, blood thinners, things like that. And I you just didn't think that, oh, nowadays that that many people still had, that there are enough people that had AIDS to cause that they would need that much money being spent on it. But yeah, no, it's, it's, there's a lot of money at stake in all of that. It's pretty crazy. I mean, that's, that's California. California might be unique. I imagine some other states have similar issues, like Florida, maybe New York, New York state might be something similar. But it was also just sort of a, a, you know, a realization that even though you don't see it in the news and all this stuff about AIDS and HIV, that no, this is still a thing. It's still very much happening. There's still a lot of money being spent on it. And pretty recently, and this is something I saw related on the Joe Rogan podcast that they were talking about, and they were talking about sort of the AIDS denialist, I don't know what you call it, the, some of the researchers who talk about how that HIV doesn't actually lead to AIDS. It's a very controversial topic. It's been around for 
over 20 years, I think, and, you know, of this one, he's a pretty respected researcher, Duesberg, that, you know, he's got a lot of qualifications to, to sort of, you know, have his name out there saying these sort of controversial topics. And he's saying that, yeah, no, HIV does not lead to AIDS. And I, what I, I don't know if that's the case at all. You know, I have no, no real belief in it going into it. But what I thought is that, well, that's something that numbers could easily sort of add some credence to or take some credence away from it. Because, you know, there's got to be numbers for how many people test positive for HIV and how many people die of AIDS or how many people have AIDS. We'll get into the sort of all these categories because there's a lot of distinctions to make between you know, whether you have it and whether you have HIV and whether you have AIDS and like how they test for it and what the symptoms are, that sort of thing. But what I would, I wound up finding out as I try and look into this is that the statistics are, are slop. I mean, this, this will, uh, which is also, to be honest, sometimes that's a good thing for me because I'm like, well, if it's the statistics are slop, then there's a story in here. Because this is such a, you know, there's, again, there's so much money and attention being spent on this. You'd think that, you know, that they would have just like all these data sets, you know, like all the dashboards that were built for COVID and the flu. You can see like, you know, weekly surveillance numbers about like how many tested positive this week and, you know, and, and how many people died. But, and they do have a special HIV reports, but there's, the numbers are, they, they changed the, the, the topics of that they're tracking from uh, year to year, and they change the categories. They change, and for a lot of this, there's probably reasons for it's a new disease. They're just sort of, sort of figuring out what's the best thing to track. But it also just seems like there should be, you should be able to get like a time series data set that says how many people have tested positive over the last you know 20, 30 years, how many people have died you know, what their, you know, the conditions or, you know, how many people died of sarcoma, how many people died of pneumonia, that sort of thing. I will also say that, you know, some of that is that, you know, with health care statistics in general, sometimes it's hard to get those numbers. People don't want to know, have it known that they have AIDS. That's probably maybe the most sensitive disease topic out there to be, you don't want that information available on in the public realm so maybe they don't want to there might be trouble tracking the statistics but i still say it's it's slop and we'll get into all the reasons it, it's slop and uh um and maybe it's good to start off with um a, a really simple one that i found and that's in uh more recent statistics um usually the it's like the further back in time you go the statistics get a little sloppier you're having to look at like something typed out on an IBM Selectric and, you know, scanned in 20 years ago. And, you know, like, how do you get the numbers out of that? And sometimes that's that that's usually where the, the sloppiness comes from. But not always the case. Sometimes it's like as things change, they get they get worse. And that's in, in the more recent reports online from the CDC. They're talking about that you know, how many numbers of people have, you know, tested positive for HIV and how many people have died. And not only have they sort of eliminated that distinction between HIV and AIDS, that they just call it HIV now, which is very interesting. They don't even reference AIDS, but they specifically say that the number, you know, the number of people who die from HIV includes all people 
independent of the cause of death, which is, <laughs> so we'll start talking about this. This is a, there are a lot of parallels to some of the criticisms of the COVID, the, how the you know CDC treated COVID. There are a lot of parallels in that. I, I sort of touched on it a bit in the story, but there's a lot more to talk about. Uh, it's, you know, cause it's not, uh, it's mainly just, it's a lot of them are just funny, I think. Um, but yeah, that like if somebody dies of gangrene or a car accident and they tested positive for HIV, they're considered having a, you know a death associated with HIV, which is just ridiculous. That's that's just total garbage and not scientific in any sort of way, shape, or form. You know, HIV/AIDS leads to death can lead to death from a number of different causes. And so maybe that's what they don't want to like, oh, somebody died of, you know, I've, uh, this one uni- this one type of pneumonia or this other type of pneumonia, and chances are they couldn't fight it because their immune system was weak and therefore uh, it's because of AIDS and therefore we're including that. But that's, it's to include all causes, that's just total junk. You can, they could totally be more particular about that. And maybe that's a good sort of like time to sort of get into the details about like the differences between, you know, what is HIV and which is, would, what is AIDS? Because I kind of knew a little bit of this stuff, but I never really cared enough to sort of really dive into it. But, you know, AIDS was originally called junkie pneumonia. It's when they have people in New York City were showing up to hospitals heroin addicts with these, uh, you know, these diseases, what's the name, the Kaposi's sarcoma, Kaposi's sarcoma, and this other type of pneumonia. I think their hands would, they'd have like these lesions, these purple lesions on their hands, and that just their body was unable to fight the infection. Something that, you know, average people might, maybe they would, if they got one of these diseases, it, it might last for a month and go away. But for these folks that they're just they couldn't fight it and it eventually killed them. And, you know, enough people, it started happening as it sort of began very much being associated with gay culture and things like that with the sexually transmitted. And then they expanded it to, you know, people getting blood transfusions, things like that. And and eventually, you know, they sort of did make this distinction that it was HIV, this the human immunodeficiency virus that was causing it, that it wasn't, there was this one source, it was HIV that was causing AIDS, which is AIDS being the term of, you know, acquired immune deficiency syndrome, that essentially saying that your, their body, their immune system was so compromised that they couldn't fight these diseases. And and so, and that that was that distinction. And they, and what the, the sort of the, the skeptics would be saying, uh, getting into sort of like Duisberg's theory, is that there was never any proof that HIV led to AIDS. That, you know, they de- eventually developed a test for the proteins associated with HIV, and that they showed that that, and it would, I read a little bit of Duisberg's theory about this, and he gets into that it doesn't satisfy Koch's hypoth- hypothesis, which is, is, biologist from, you know, I think it's like maybe the turn of the century, but a long time ago, who established four theories for a theory, like a sort of medical theory to be true, sort of saying that like the the symptoms have to be, you know, constantly associated with anybody who has the disease. 
I'm forgetting the other ones, but essentially it's sort of like a sort of just a, a rational, a sort of correlation rational rationale for saying somebody has this disease. And Duisburg's saying that like, oh, HIV AIDS one doesn't have that because that, you know, there are all these people that have AIDS but don't have HIV, which is this, this it's, I think it's, it's called, it's usually called ICL. I have to look up what that ICL stands for. Because it's a, it's a it's a mouthful, idiopathic CD four CD four plus lymphocytopenia, uh, essentially weak immune system but with no HIV, sign of HIV. So it's non HIV AIDS, sort of like the short version of it. But in general, that's not that common. And this is where I was sort of I was actually starting to get skeptical of the skeptics, is that that the evidence you know incidence of that ICL is like uh, from everything I've read about it is it, there's no sign of a lot of people dying from it in the CDC wonder database. And there's like sort of like a, a like a sort of all encompassing category of like other, you know, diseases that w- ICL would fall under. And in the sort of HIV AIDS uh, data that, you know, they do have numbers for how many people have HIV and h- how many people have AIDS separately for certain years. Again, the, data is kind of slop and they stop ch- tracking certain numbers and change to other numbers. But for the, were the numbers that they do have, like in 2000, that they were pretty much the same. It was like 100% of people who had AIDS had tested fo- positive for HIV. So <clears throat> unless there's something you know, like he's saying that the numbers are not true I mean, there are it's there are certain years where there's pe- more people with AIDS than uh, people who have uh, HIV, which is a little funny, but it's not a ton. You could see, like I think probably within the sort of the you know within the within error thresholds, you could say that like oh maybe they're testing didn't test what didn't come out right or something like that. But so like yeah, so they were very close for a number of years. And then they separated. Now a lot more people have HIV than uh, AIDS, about twice as many. So, and w- that started around 2006, which again doesn't make a lot of sense because, as far as I know, nothing really changed around then. It's sort of like the the important time events for you know AIDS development, treatments, things like that are 1995 is when you know AZT is like that was the big deal medication that was meant to treat people with the disease this combo anti-retroviral treatment an AR that they had all these retroviral treatments and like oh, there's so much you know money that's thrown at the research for this like a lot of the, the sort of like covid stuff just millions and billions of dollars that were put into sort of researching these topics and they had all these, you know, retroviral treatments for years, but they didn't work. They weren't that effective. There's a lot of testing that was going on. There's like all these protests to, to, man, to demand more treatment. What's that sort of activist group, you know, would have die-ins in, Cal- in, in D.C. on the regular saying all these people are dying. And, you know, you know, they had the AIDS quilt to sort of get out more attention for it and to demand more money for testing. And eventually, so it's the combo therapy that winds up working, this AZT one, and which I've heard is, you know, it, from what I've read about it, it sounds like it's a very, has its, its a lot of side, side effects and things like that. It's not, you know, it's not a nice thing to have to take, uh, but that it, you know, it was effective. But that was in 1995. So 
somehow 10 years later, uh, and I don't even know if they would necessarily prevent people from getting AIDS or like, or if it would just prevent them from dying. Uh, there's that's some detail to that I'm not totally certain of, but it's essentially saying after 2005 that in 2006 that people are getting HIV, they're not getting AIDS. And I'm not that I couldn't find any sort of explanation for that. There might be something out there, but it's something pretty unique. And so that it's almost like Duesberg's hypothesis started kicking in then, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because before that, if all the numbers seem to say that, no, the skeptics were wrong, that HIV and AIDS go hand in hand. So that's one that's just not a lot of sense, not making a lot of sense there. And so getting back to the AZT thing is that, you know, AZT was heralded as sort of a, I don't know if I would say a miracle drug, but it was like, you know, it was a big deal. Here's a huge treatment for people to take and it's going to save your life. And it was expensive. And I, you know, I think I mentioned something about the side effects, but it was there. And, and there's this huge drop in the number of, of deaths from AIDS in 1995, like as, like as if like everybody just took it uh, all at once and it saved a whole bunch of lives right then and there because the numbers were going up and up for years and years and years. People just kept dying left and right and the mortality rate, you know, just dropped. But what's interesting is that the number of deaths dropped. It's like almost in sync with the number of AIDS diagnoses which is, and that dropped, you know, just like two years before that. And that, that dropped because they changed the definition of AIDS. They, you know, without getting too skeptical of it, I'll, I'll sort of, you know, that it was, they were having to change the definition. They did it a few different times, one in 87. And that's as they sort of like understood the disease more and they developed uh, these uh, sort of better understanding. They developed the HIV test for it. And in 1993, they sort of changed the requirements to say that, like, no, you need an actual test for HIV to qualify to say that, no, you, you, that you have HIV slash AIDS, which all seems reasonable. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, it's funny to compare this to COVID where they developed everything to sort of, it seemed like overnight, they seemed to have a, you know, drug for it, you know, within, you know, vaccine within a year somehow. But so, but they, they changed the definition and they wound up having to update all of the statistics for it. And they have like, they actually do collect the statistics based on different definitions of the disease. For certain years they have, they don't have it for like the whole, like the last 40 years or so, but they do have these like by the 1993 definition, the 1987 definition, and then the, the pre the early eighties definition. But by changing that definition, they, the numbers jump up. Like they have a lot more people are, described as having HIV AIDS because they have this HIV test and you know the and the numbers are updated as a result of that but after they change that definition the numbers start going down drastically and then 2 years later AZT comes out and then the deaths uh, related to it keep going down and which is a little funny it's a little coincidental just all everything just those are two events that are barely separated and causing just huge swings in the numbers that don't seem like they should be anything correlated. They're like, one's just a sort of our understanding of the disease. Another one's just sort of like a, is medicine. Um, 
very funny. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But what's in, interesting about this is that if you look at the, the mortality rate for AIDS, that that number had been going down sharply pretty much since you know AIDS was identified as a disease in like 1980. Mortality rate being the number of people who are who have the disease who have died the the percentage of deaths per AIDS patient of the of the population of known AIDS patients so you know this gets into sort of like I think the more interesting part is just sort of like the the statistics of you know medical sampling data and this is something very much that comes back to the COVID thing and, and investigative economics uh, talked about this. Uh, we had a, a story about this a long time ago when this was an issue with COVID is that when a lot of places were reporting that, you know, the number of people testing positive for COVID-19 was just, it was exponential. People were just like thousands and thousands were being tested positive each day. And this disease is going wild. It's going rampant. But that's incidence of reporting, of, of testing. And that you need to have an understanding of like how prevalent the disease is. That's what you're more concerned with because a lot of people can have a disease, but not necessarily show any symptoms of it or anything like that. And that, you know, if, as you're testing more and more people, you, yes, there are a lot of people that have the test positive for that. But when you, when, it, when you look at it as a per, out of a per test, population, it was actually kind of like a fixed percentage. It was almost like 14% overall. And it took a, you know, a few months just for those statistics to come in to see like, oh no, it's like, if you, if you check a hundred people, 14 people will have the disease and some amount of them will have it in a severe way. And some of them, you know, potentially could die from it. Mainly elderly people with, you know, compromised immune systems. And that seems like potentially that's the case with AIDS, that that the the mortality rate dropped sharply from 1980 on to the current day, and that currently the mortality rate for AIDS is less than one percent. Less than one percent of the people who test positive will die from it, which is you know it's funny. That's also kind of similar to COVID. And, and that's not getting into, there might be another story that could be done about like, you know, with the age of the people that have it and the other demographics and things like that. And therefore, because nothing was happening, like, you know, maybe there were people, were, people didn't know anything about it in the 80s, but somehow the mortality rate was dropping. Maybe they sort of knew some other treatments that weren't exactly anything new. Maybe they just realized that Advil helped or something like that. But the, just it, people kept talking about it as like, oh, it's a death sentence throughout the 80s and the 90s. Um, but the, technically, the mortality rate was going down and down and down. And that's probably because um, the number of people who were being tested for it was going up and up and up. That a lot more people um, were being tested for the disease. And those people, they might test positive for it, but they weren't dying of it. And that seems to be the key thing about this is that the more that it's not a death sentence. It's a death sentence for people who have compromised immune systems that, you know, they are heroin addicts and live and they also have hepatitis C and they live uh, on the street and, uh, you know, 
got a lot of other problems going on. And there's those comorbidities. And that's those comorbidities with AIDS have been known for quite a while. They, they don't show up in all of the the surf studies of it, but there's a number of them where you look at it like, oh, these, these, this person's dying. A lot of the people who didn't die of pneumonia died of liver disease, uh, something associated with hepatitis C because they're, you know, common uh, drug users and, you know, and they're homeless and things like that. Uh, a lot of people overdose, things like that. That's, and that, that, you know, that, that might be, you know, where the, the, the high mortality is coming from. A lot of this is, you know, it's sort of like report by report. Uh, so there's not like hard numbers, st- statistics for that. But I think that could be easily this sort of statistical misleading understanding of it that like when you see when it first started showing up uh, in the 80s that like, oh, there's like a, might be a 60% death rate for the disease. And that's where I I thought this must be a a known bias, a named bias by now. I I just called it symptom bias because it's definitely a known thing in the medical world. And it's it's definitely a thing with COVID. And that is that when you have statistics, statistics for diseases and medical treatments are not usually it's not across the whole population of the world that there's just no numbers for that that the uh, statistics come in when somebody goes to a doctor or they come they go when they go to the emergency room and that they go that's not there's a bias in that in that it's it's like the inverse of a survivorship bias which it's like only the people that are extra sick get tested and you find out that they have a disease. And that's, if for those who may not be familiar with survivorship bias, like you'll see this, this picture online all over the place about this, it's like a World War II plane that they wanted to find out how to, how to help a plane survive uh, being shot down in the war. And what they did was they looked at the planes c- coming back from missions and found out where they were getting shot at and said, oh, we need to reinforce it, you know, at the at the hull or the wings or that sort of thing. And there's this picture showing where all the, the the gunshots were, the most common locations of gunshots on on these planes and being like, oh, we need to put some more metal there. But somebody was smart enough to say like, no, 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 you, those are the, the places you don't want to put reinforced metal on because those are the survivors those planes got shot there and were able to come back. That's, it, those are the, the planes that you, those are the spots where you don't need to reinforce because a plane can get shot and survive. What you want to look at are the planes that crashed and figure out where they got shot. And those are, those are the weak spots there. That's, and that's, you don't want to look at the survivors. You want to look at the ones that failed and, and see what happened there. And so there's a medical one that's sort of the inverse of that is that if you're looking at people that only come into an emergency room uh, for the disease, they're sort of like the opposite of survivors. They're the ones that are uh, hurt the most and they're going to show, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for, but you know, this is what this, what statistics are available for this disease. And you, but they are going to show that the number the people that have this disease have it severe enough that they need to go to an emergency room. And therefore, you're going to be like, wow, everybody who's got this disease is like, oh my God, they're, they're in really bad shape. This must be like a horrific disease. 
where they the people that have the disease and don't go to the emergency room, you don't know anything about them because you don't have any data on it. And you don't know that how many people there are there out there that have the disease and don't die from it. So I call it a you know, symptom bias. It's biased towards people with symptoms. I mean, you know, of course, it depends on what you're looking for. That if you want to, you know, find out like what the like the most severe symptoms of the disease are, you want to look at the people that come to the emergency room. But if you want to find out the mortality rate, you do need to find out how many people have the disease in the general population. Um, that's something that's kind of become available with uh, COVID nineteen. You know, that they have these at home tests, and everybody's been able to get the test um, and find out like, oh, you know, uh, no, I don't have it. With that, even though. You know, you're not uh, you're not showing any symptoms, uh, but you know they can get it like a population wide thing. I don't know how useful that is. I mean, I feel like it's kind of useless because you know if you don't have symptoms, then why do you care if you have the disease or not? I mean, that gets into sort of like whether you know COVID zero was maybe the stupidest thing possible. The, the thinking that like that if you could just sort of stop it from the disease from existing in anybody that you'll stop the disease from existing altogether, which it, I mean, it's completely stupid because it seems like nobody kind of had any actual understanding of how the disease worked and that um, it wasn't something that like could be just eliminated. It's, it's like something that changes all the time. Who knows how much of it was actually just people with allergies or uh, all the other sort of, you know, bacteria in the atmosphere and things like that. You know, I, I'm at this point. I'm so skeptical of the, the the medical establishment of having a good understanding of how to take care of these things that you know I just sort of assume that they know nothing. But that, but sort of getting back to the HIV/AIDS thing is that okay? So you we you know there's been this more of this testing in the wider general population to know like not the general population, not everybody's getting tested for AIDS, <laughs> but you know, there was a lot more testing as, as sort of awareness of it, you know, became widespread. And so like the more tests, the more people that you could find out that had the disease and therefore they, and they weren't dying of it, that's gonna drop the mortality rate. There's no doubt about that. That's a, just a sort of theory. I mean, it's just, but it does help explain why that mortality rate, is, you know, collapsed. And then getting back into sort of like what things have changed with the CDC's understanding, like measurement of HIV. I already talked about how they're including HIV deaths that whether or not the whatever the cause of the death was. But not only is that, but the numbers compared in their HIV reports compared to in the CDC's Wonder database, this is this like very common database of the underlying cause of death for you know any a gazillion different diseases. It's a very robust data set. We've talked about it. it's got a lot of problems still, but it's like it's the best thing out there. That the numbers they show for deaths related to HIV are like a third of what those HIV reports are showing. It's like five thousand versus twenty thousand. Sorry, more of a quarter. And yeah, that like the the numbers are way off, and that just makes it seem like those HIV reports are really just trying to make it seem like more people are dying of a disease and that they're not. And you're sort of like, wow, U.S. statistics are junk. And I like, is that, is that the CDC's fault? I don't know if they like, you know, they're sort of collect all, uh, collecting all this information from 
you know, from, from individual states and cities and things like that and compiling it together. Let's, let's look at another place just to sort of compare and contrast about what's going on there. And UK also has problems with this. Their HIV data also seems like slop because what it is about the HIV, what, there, the number of deaths due to, from AIDS are more than the number of diagnoses in a year which is seems just impossible because a even if you're assuming that like oh those are the you know people from previous years dying but like the number of deaths has been going down in general and in general if there's like you can't have that many that would just be such a huge amount of people dying like more people are dying than are testing positive you would run out of the population very quickly it it just it just seems un, un unlikely especially since the number of people sort of testing positive for HIV has been going down for over year over year for there. But it hasn't been going down since the pandemic, which makes, again, makes zero sense. I mean, these are things that like you can't say with uh, 100% certainty because sort of like, well, during the pandemic, you know, everything is shut down. Human interaction is, you know, limited to, you know, your close friends and family. So that should ostensibly shut down the number of transmission of sexually transmitted diseases. And I can't say with certainty, like people can still, you know, transmit diseases when they're not interacting with that many people. But you would think human interactions are, you know, like limited so severely, it's got to limit it in some way, shape or form. But UK statistics on HIV transmission make it seem like it's gone up. So in 2022, it's like, a good over a thousand more diag- uh, tests than than the previous year. After going down year and year, when things were open, it, it makes no sense. And it, even for the CDC data, that when it, the numbers did go down in 2020, but they said that might have actually just been a, a limitation of testing that like not as many as many people were still getting the disease but they just weren't getting tested for it because medical places were closed i just seen it all sounds so unbelievable and of course in 2022 numbers or 2021 the numbers go back uh, go up again so I, I just find it all you know that's there's no way to sort of say how many sexual interactions people were having during the pandemic but it's just seems unbelievable that any of these numbers are to be trusted. And that another aspect of this is that other sexually transmitted diseases like gonorrhea and chlamydia also didn't, weren't affected by the pandemic, which is, I mean, these are diseases that are sort of confined to a lot of them. It's related to prostitution and things like that. And from everything, there's like pro- being able to get numbers on prostitution is pretty difficult because it's like, it's not a formal industry that, you know, files, you know, that the Bureau of Labor Statistics tracks. Uh, but it's got to have gone down. I mean, there's, there's no way that it couldn't have gone down. And it, in fact, it, they kept going up. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why I was saying that, like, all of the numbers just seem like absolute slop. Who knows what's going on there? Maybe there's some errors in reporting. But when the CDC says that, like, you know, they're starting to include HIV uh, deaths from any causes related to HIV, then that's a joke. And they know it. And it, it's all very similar to the COVID, a lot of the accusations of COVID that like that a lot of the numbers of people dying from COVID were potentially 
people dying from other diseases, but they tested positive for COVID because, you know, oh, their immune system is compromised. They're not even saying that. They're just sort of like, you know that, we all know that like the, the diseases, it, when your immune system is compromised, you are, you can die from a lot more diseases, but to sort of accept anything and everything, that's ridiculous. Um, and you sort of wonder if like, it's mainly just the people that are immune, immune system compromised that really need to be concerned. And those are the 1%. And that, you know, of course, they probably just need to sort of, there are probably some lifestyle changes that need to be in order to, to fix that, not to shut the whole world down and, and go into hiding because of it. So interesting story. There might be some more that might write about this. It's, it's, there's a lot of money still being spent on AIDS. You may not hear about it anymore, but it's, it's a big deal. And yeah, we'll follow the topic and for future stories. I hope you, hope you appreciate it.